the now I have a question because George over here. Oh, <laughs> oh boy, our our our, uh, our local skeptic. Are you bored, George, or just uh, angry? <laughs> I was like I I was both. Explain that one. That was good. <laughs> come on, lay it in, lay it in. Come on. So go ahead, George. Did I? I <laughs> One minute. Put him on the spot. I know he's putting me on the spot. <laughs> Juice leans back. He's like, "Hey, I know you had that question." I'm like, "No, I didn't have a question." <laughs> and now I'm here I'm on the spot with the question. So, bro, as him, he's just trying to as, get me riled up right as, now. As him being a skeptic, and you being skeptic a, of what Christianity or yes. a skeptic of his view? Oh no, he's he's a complete skeptic of all religion. Oh, yeah. oh okay, that's fair. That's that's, that's fair. actually why we have him on the show because we like opposing views. <laughs> well, I have something interesting about that. What's fascinating to me about this, George, is if you know about uh, you know some of your heroes like um, um, Bertrand Russell, um, some of them like Bertrand Russell, literally they made the argument of why they believe Jesus is a false prophet. And he literally said, because he said he was coming within this generation and he didn't. And... Um, the irony is, is that as a preterist, my whole argument is that is that actually he did. It's just that you don't read the the the, the Hebrew language or the Greek language in the case of the New Testament. You don't read their images and memes and metaphors in in your understanding. You have to understand when they're in their understanding and in their context. Uh, coming on the clouds was actually a very common Old Testament phrase used over and over again for when God's when God would come to judge a tribe or a nation, he would say, Yahweh is coming on the clouds. And of course, they knew he didn't literally do that. The idea was clouds are the form of deity, and they're also the symbol of judgment. And so that was over and over and over again in the Old Testament. So when Jesus said, I will come on the clouds and destroy the temple, he actually did because it was always intended to be symbolic. And so uh, that which the famous skeptic Bertrand Russell used as an argument against Christ, which most futurists would have to admit because they don't believe that he came in judgment. As a preterist, to me, that I have the solution and it and it, it solves that that very issue. For, you know, I, of course, I'm not saying Bertrand Russell, if he would have known this, he would have become a Christian, but I'm just saying, I, I, I let's me, let me put it this way. I actually have a connection with some skeptics in the sense that I do believe Jesus was an apocalyptic prophet who was claiming that he was going to to come come back in judgment within a generation. It's just that how you how you interpret that should be according to the ancient Hebrew mindset, not ours. If that makes sense. Maybe no, I get you. No, and then uh, what what makes it interesting is I love that uh, you, me, and Juice are usually uh batting at each other back and forth at the other podcasts if you ever listen to them but uh you guys are juice is like yeah tell him brian because you're kind of saying the same stuff he's he comes at me with but uh for me um and i guess you know i i'm still kind of early on in my studies you know I, i've you know even uh being part of these discussions helps elevate my uh knowledge and everything so i'm still kind of studying i you know i haven't made it all the way through the bible yet so juice has given me uh the pointers and the literature that helps guide me through everything but for me it just i i don't believe in anything and i know what you're gonna say about this is you're gonna say it's all symbolic but just like anything magical or yeah it's just i'm just not buying it i i'm not like jesus did not die and come back to life people don't do that it never happened yeah but i so i just 
it's I like that there's some guiding rules to it. I enjoy that, but yeah, I just feel like it's a uh, I don't know. This does it's not selling to me. Yeah, I do admire and, that you guys have done deeper research. I do love that about this group that uh you know, you guys aren't taking what's just kind of given to you at the surface level and that you guys dive in and it does get yeah. rich for me sometimes when you guys start talking. I'm like, "Oh man, this is hard to keep up with." So I do admire <laughs> that about you guys. Um but yeah, well, I mean, just any time there's anything superstitious or magical, I'm just I'm not just I don't bite it. Well, look, I'm, I, I apologize for all the stupid Christians who have confirmed, you, you know, your biases against <laughs> us. You know, because we, have, we have, I'm we probably have... I'm really close with one. It drives me bananas. Yeah, and I've been I've been a stupid idiot myself. So, um, and I'm not going to sit here and, and engage in you know trying to convert you and about the resurrection because that's not the point of this particular you know uh, episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I think in, in trying to make it relevant in some way, at least, um, you know, the series that I'm writing and stuff about the historical events and such. You know, it, it, I guess to me, you know, the only, uh, apart from what you may consider magical, um, and this is the prophecy issue, which, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very familiar with liberal theories about prophecy and stuff, but liberal scholarship and such. But um, if, if there's anything that, that I would say can make some connection with what we're talking about tonight with my, my books and series and such. And, and it, it, it might be that the fulfillment of prophecy, meaning, you know, Jesus actually in, in Matthew 24. And, and by the way, this is one of those things where I'll, I'll admit a lot of Christians think Matthew 24 is about, has not happened yet. And, and, but I've literally, I've written a book end times Bible prophecy where I've gone through every verse of Matthew 24 and I've shown how it actually was fulfilled in that first century by AD 70. And this was given when Jesus, before he died. So we're talking like 40 years before. And, and so, and it's amazing because he literally said, uh, not one stone will be left on this temple, uh, will be left upon another. And that is literally what happened. We have that in secular history, Titus destroyed the temple and not one stone was left. Those kinds of things are in Matthew 24. And what's interesting is that they fit the first century in a way that they don't fit any other century. So, for example, you know, and again, I'm not thinking I'm going to persuade you on this, but I think it's at least relevant to the issues is the, the issue of prophecy versus the magical a- aspect of, you know, whatever resurrection. Oh, don't worry. I, you get, you get a, I could take a burn, so it's all right. You could, you could bring it, Brian. <laughs> um, uh, but but the uh, – so, so, for example, you know, like if you read Matthew 24, Jesus says – in fact, I can identify with a lot of the skeptics in some, some ways because there's a lot of stuff that Jesus says – in Matthew 24 that you go, come on, that's not a prophecy because that can be fulfilled anytime. For example, he says, there will be wars and rumors of wars. But, you know, he, he's saying, first of all, he says, Matthew 24, he says, I'm going to, God's going to destroy the temple because you killed Messiah. And then he says, and when are all these things going to happen? You know, and, and he goes, uh, well, here's what's going to happen. And he goes, there'll be wars and rumors of wars, famines and earthquakes in many places. Mm-hmm. And I, even as a Christian, I've gone, that's not really a prophecy because that's always happening, right? So that's not fair. <laughs> yeah. And but just as one example, but when I look into historical things, it's I start to see like, oh no, actually there's things that those statements Jesus said make sense in the first century where they don't make sense anywhere else. So for example, and this one was one of the things that blew me away was that that statement, there will be wars and rumors of wars. All right. So you look in history, like, come on, there's wars and rumors of wars constantly throughout all of history. So it doesn't apply. However, you look into Roman history and you find, ironically, coincidentally, dun, dun, dun. the time of Jesus was called Pax Romana. 
Yep. And this is this isn't in a, just a Christian made up thing. It's Pax Romana called the Peace of Rome. Yep. And so literally the wor- the known world at the time, and when the Bible uses the world, it's not talking about South America. The, to them, the known world was the Roman Empire. And he says that that there wars and rumors of wars. That would actually make sense because that was the only time that it was universally considered that there were no wars going on because Rome had conquered everything and thing everything was at peace. And so, and what's so funny is Tacitus even writes about that. He's a secular, godless, you know, Roman historian, and he says he go he talks about how in the time of Nero, all of a sudden everything fell apart in the empire. And he says things like, you know, there's wars here and there and, and all this stuff. And he starts describing how like the empire started going into chaos. And then Nero, uh, particularly then when Nero kills himself, it, it almost goes up, falls apart. Right. And so, um, again, that to me, those are just, that's one example of how, um, it's, the, the statements of Jesus, if you look into history, I think they make a lot more sense than just this surface reading of me, a modern Westerner, reads that wars and rumors of wars. Ah, that's silly. You know, but it does but oh, but in the time of Pax Romana, that would be really unique. Huge. Because they're like, what do you mean wars and rumors of wars? There's nothing going on, you know? Yeah. So that's just one example, you know. I mean, I'm not gonna try and show you where everything was fulfilled, but <laughs> but I guess my argument is or, or my point is is that Prophecy fulfillment is is an example, I think. It's not going to be something that's going to make someone go, oh, okay, I believe, but it certainly should make you wonder how in the hell could someone know that in advance? Maybe there's something going on here, you know? Yeah. And yeah. liberals tend, liberal scholarship tends to say, oh, that was real. Oh, it was written after the fact. And then they pretended that it was written before the fact, so it sounded like prophecy. But there's just too much evidence that, that that's not the case, you know. And Daniel is a perfect example of that, you know. Um, Daniel is a classic book where liberal theologians say, "Oh, all these prophecies were written after Antiochus Epiphanes, and that's why they fit perfectly." But the problem is, the prophecies in Daniel go to the first century, and he prophesies the coming of Messiah. He does. And Frickin' fits perfectly. He says 70 times seven years, 480 years, and that's exactly when Jesus came. And that couldn't was not written in the time of Jesus. So Daniel was written way before Jesus. And those are the kind of things that at least to me as an unbeliever made me go, well, you know, yeah. certainly something that's weird. Well, historically, that's that's quite true. I mean, people can argue that, oh, I don't see any Hebrew text dating back that time, but... We do have the Septuagint. The Septuagint was written back in the third century, so we yeah. know it was way before Jesus. Well, not only that, but the Dead Sea Scrolls actually. Yeah. Um, the Dead Sea Scrolls were really fascinating because all the arguments about oh, you know, the Bible was just copied over and over, and we and we, all the late copies are in the Middle Ages and stuff. And the the Dead Sea Scrolls gave us copies, not the whole Bible, but it gave us a lot of copies of. Uh, Old Testament books that went back a thousand years earlier. Yeah. For example, Isaiah. That was the big. That was the one book that they had almost the complete book, and and that is truly amazing. I, I just can't imagine how anyone from any viewpoint could not be amazed because the differences between Isaiah in the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is like thousand years earlier, and the Isaiah they have in the Masoretic texts, is minimal. It's almost nothing. Which shows you that you know they really did take great care in in preserving these texts, and uh, but not only that, but it shows you that it it was back in the ancient times. It wasn't written in the Middle Ages or whatever. It wasn't yeah. made up. 
fascinating. I think to to uh, to kind of tag on a George's point there about being a skeptic. This is where I think dispensationalism has done Christianity such a great disservice because I want to yeah. be I want to be a skeptic when rapture theology has been forced down my brain since a yes. child. And so once I get to the point where I I can shed a lot of that theology, you come to a, a breaking point in your life, a decision. It's like, all right, do I want to decide now at the age of whenever that is to let my faith become my own, or do I just want to be a skeptic and just toss it all out because I'm done with being told that at any moment the sky is going to crack open and Jesus is coming. I'm done with all of that type of Yeah, theology. me too. In fact, that's why I don't blame a lot of unbelievers when they point to that crap because I st- I, you know, I've, I, I was watching one of these guys again recently just you know, on the blood moons with John Hagen. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Lord, yeah, no. And it's like, I don't blame you guys because these guys are such fools and they ruin, they make Christianity look bad Mm -hmm. because they really talk with this certainty and this like, and this real condescending sort of like, you know, uh, you know what I mean? Like, uh, we're we're better than you type of thing. And, and all this stuff is going to happen. Let me tell you, you know, he's like, the blood moons are coming. This was in 2013. The blood moons, it's on YouTube. (laughs) The blood moons are coming and something big's going to happen. I'm not saying the rapture is going to be the rapture, but something big's going to happen. So they protect themselves now by saying things like it may be, it could be, we're not supposed to set dates, but (laughs) <laughs> so they're, just, they're lying false prophets right, but buy my I book in the meantime yeah. <laughs> I, it meanwhile just, call us 1-800 number make a donation today <laughs> yes yeah. <laughs> now don't get me wrong though I, I mean the whole money thing is like you know uh, they really do I, I'm convinced they really do believe this stuff they're not just doing it to get money um, they do want to make money of course but that's not why they're doing it they really believe this stuff and the problem is, is though, I think there is the corrupting nature because it is very popular. And one thing I've discovered as a writer is the more sensational you are, the more sales you do get. Mm-hmm. So it is a, certainly a temptation of corruption. And I see in mm-hmm. the Christian community, uh, the guys who are talking about the futuristic prophecies now, they're, they're the ones making boom. It's, it's so funny. Look, I've uh, people have like, you know, like I'm on Facebook now, you know, spreading this stuff. And like I said, my, my view is a minority viewpoint, right? But so it's so funny when I see someone say something like, you know, yeah, well, you're just do, you're just writing it to make money and, you know, your books. And I'm like, dude, if I wanted to make money, I would not write, be writing preterist. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It is like there's no – trust me. I'm doing good because I'm just a great writer and a good storyteller. But like there's no money in preterism because I got to tell you, trying to, trying to advertise – Wow. Like, you know, on Amazon stuff as an author, you're, you're able to advertise and stuff like it's really hard to advertise because nobody like almost nobody's buying preterist stuff. Right. Yeah. And so I have to find those guys and make them buy my stuff. Right. But but the problem is, is like I wish I wish there was a lot of money. in, But like, no, there's not, you know, <laughs> right. and, and, and that's just, you know. But these guys, I don't. I believe they really believe it because I know some of them, and sometimes I go on their shows, right? And the, you know, and they're kind enough to have me on because I'm critiquing their viewpoint actually with mine. Um, and and you know, they'll they'll believe like, yeah, the mark of the beast is a computer chip, you know, and it's coming, and they got the, they've got it. Here's the here's the newspaper article: computer chips in the hands, you know. Well, well Brian, Brian, that's that's why your fourth book has to be called Revelation: The Blood Moons. 
There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm rambling on, though. Sorry. but uh, And you're not available on CBD either, correct? Yes. I'm not available on <laughs> CBD because they would never take my books just on Amazon. I'm, I'm a self-published author. I couldn't get any pu- Christian publisher to do my stuff oh, no. because that's another thing. You know, I, I have sex oh, wow. and violence in my stuff because the Bible has sex and violence. It it's really does. Violence. Yeah. I'm not afraid to deal with that stuff. And, and I think that that's part of reality. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So I, yeah, I don't fit very well, but I will say this though. I do believe that there are a lot of Christians. Um, I'm, I'm one of the best sellers on biblical fiction. So the truth is there are a lot of, I think more Christians are open to, to the imagination and stuff than, uh, than they were in the past. Cause in the past fundamentalists would be more reactive and they would hate my stuff. Um, and they, they still are out there and they probably do. But what I'm saying is there's a lot more Christians that are more open-minded, yeah. uh, quite frankly, more open-minded than atheists in many ways. Um, and so they, they've, they've been reading my stuff, even though it pushes the envelope with fiction and stuff. And like I said, my viewpoint's my, a minority view, but because I'm, I'm a, also engaging in a lot of, you know, spiritual warfare and stuff like that, stuff that they like, they're willing to at least read it. But the big money is in the, um, this is still the end times and all, and, 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 and the transhumanism and the, the, the genetic hybridism, you know, mm-hmm. this is all part of the plan of the antichrist and the, they're going to, and the antichrist is going to reveal himself as an alien from another planet. I mean, the, and, and it's the sensational stuff that sells, but you know what? Mm-hmm. I I want to I want to say something that you know sometimes I think it's easy to forget that atheists and skeptics skeptics have just as goofy ideas look at ancient aliens I mean this hugely popular you know history channel thing and I mean it talk about fairy tales it's so goofy and they believe anything they believe anything proves you that aliens gave the stuff right and I mean, you watch this stuff, and honestly, I'm like, really? You laugh at Christians for their goofy <laughs> magical ideas? You know, come on. Touche. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hilarious, actually. But, but that's, that's my point is, is that, I, you know, that's what I would argue is that technically, um, as uh, G.K. Chesterton was famous for saying, when you don't believe in God, it's not that you – it's not that you don't believe in anything. It's that you'll believe anything because that's basically what happens. You know, you, you know, you'll have fairy tales that are just as grand as you claim Christians are having. At least that would be my argument, George. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll plug, I'll, I'll plug uh, ancient aliens debunked on that one too. That was a, yeah. that was a great film with Dr. Heiser. They brought him in. And uh, just step for step. And I love the fact that they inserted all the numbers throughout the whole doc that showed you. You can go back and you look it up. And really, they just used basic archaeology to debunk all of ancient aliens. It's yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, there's so many things that we take for granted now because we've heard it over and over again. Like, there's no way that we could have built the pyramids. How could we have built the pyramids? It must have, you know, and it's like, well, no, actually there's scholarly papers out there that explain how they were built. (laughs) It's just like they really exist, but you just get these memes that catch hold of, of people. And so, and Graham Hancock writes these books that he's a good writer. He's a good storyteller. (laughs) So what can I say? But anyway, a long time ago, I was sucked into one or two of his books. 
Yeah, that, I mean, he's a good writer. He's a good storyteller. Sometimes I watch this stuff because it is entertaining. Yeah. Entertaining. And that's why I say is I, I – and, and look, as a writer, I write fiction. So I'm aware of this temptation of, you know, if you really push it, you can get more sales. And then how far can I go where my own personal integrity might be compromised? And that's always a constant issue because mm. I'm making stuff up, but I'm trying to be historically accurate. I'm trying to communicate what I really believe. Um, and so I just think it's a, it's a constant temptation for most writers because I think most writers – Excuse me. Most writers realize that that you sell better if you do certain things, and those things aren't always, you know, truthful or whatever. You know, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, there's always the the modern version of uh, of Graham Hancock, L.A. Marzulli. Oh. Yeah, L.A. Marzulli. Yeah, <laughs> that the elongated skulls and stuff. Yep. But here's something cool. Michael Heiser has started a new program called Fringe Pop, and it's on YouTube, and it's like little ten-minute clips, and he'll he'll adjust one of these things at a time, like the, you know, like the uh, the Ankara mechanism that they found in the sea, and and uh, you know various things. Like he, I don't know if he has the elongated skulls yet, but I'm sure he'll get to those eventually. But but uh, it's a it's a very helpful tool as well. It's not quite as entertaining as uh, 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 Ancient Aliens, but you know. <laughs> Uh, Brian, I'm okay with you towing the line with your, uh, you know, you said you use the word embellishments and or creativity. Uh, I'm good with that because you are offering another point of view that I didn't even know I was missing for a long time. So, and you know, for me, the only conflict of interest that that I could see ever coming up is if you were in control of major armies and tanks and had billions of dollars at your disposal. Then trying to put this stuff out, but you don't. You know what I mean? I, like you said, you're you, in the Christian world. You're the minority point of view, but uh, you know, just because you're the minority doesn't mean you can't have influence. And I think you do have some influence going on. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. I I want to be able to change the landscape and become and become rich, <laughs> <laughs> as we all do. <laughs> but I, I'm not counting on it, you know. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, and, and but what you say is is interesting too, related to to fiction and stuff. And and um, you know what I tell people is, even though I'm trying to be historically accurate and and all that, um, I say that I write theological novels, which means mm-hmm. um, I think it's really pretentious. Like when someone says something like, you know, I'm writing a Noah a. a, a, a a novel on Noah, right? The Noah's flood. And there's a lot of those out there. Right. And, and, um, and it's like, this is historically accurate. You know, it's like, you're being dishonest because nobody, we know so almost nothing about Noah than what's in the Bible. And then in that time period, it's so ancient. We have almost no references to it. So we don't really know. Hmm. So anything you do is going to be fictional. So it's really sort of disingenuous to say something like, you know, oh, this is really historical. So I try to say, well, look, I do my historical research and I do mythological research because I try to, I try to incorporate all kinds of world mythologies into my paradigm. Yeah. But I'm like, but no, I don't know that this is how it really was. I'm just trying to be, I'm, I'm trying, I'm being fictional and I'm trying to write what I believe it, it may have looked like, but it's really more about the, the theological truth of it than it is about what did it really, how did it really look? You know, yeah. who knows? We don't know, yeah. you know, right. Right. we know so little about ancient history, even the stuff that we do know, we know so little, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although the, your book, uh, When Giants Walk the Earth has some great scholarly uh, research papers across it. 
Was- yeah, and that's where I'm, I try to follow Michael Heiser's approach where while I do take seriously some of the bizarre things in the Bible and the supernatural things, I try I, – I, I don't want to fall into the trap of these Christians who just believe everything. And I don't mean everything in the Bible. I'm saying anything you tell them is fantastical. They'll believe, oh, yeah, you know, like giants. Oh, the Bible says there were giants. Yeah. Well, I believe actually it does say there were giants. But then it's like 25 foot tall, 25 foot tall giants. It's like, yeah, I'll believe that. It's like, no, there's no evidence of that whatsoever. And, and the, the word giant just means a tall person. And so it, it's more likely seven to eight foot tall. We have basketball players like that, right? right. So I'm yeah. like, that's the kind of thing where, you know, I, th- I think Christians will just some Christians will just believe anything that's fantastical because they think, well, our God can do anything. So therefore, I'll believe everything. No, no, you fool, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, George is sitting there thinking, yeah, well, you believe in the resurrection, you fool. Nah, nah, nah. Yeah. I, uh, right. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to actually say, there actually is some good research on that, which I'll bring up later. Not tonight. But there's some good research on that, which we'll go over later. Um, uh, about? Yeah, but, oh, about the resurrection. There's actually some good oh. some good historical references to it, but that's at a later time. Oh. That's going to take some yeah. time. Gonna, I know. <laughs> I, I also, I, I, uh, I'm just referencing basic common science that he did not resurrect. <laughs> so you deny all quantum physics? I don't know what quantum physics are, but if they involve someone dying and then coming back, yes. That's a that's a future episode we're working on as well because it's uh, I find quantum physics fascinating. I thought it's great that um, you guys are covering that inside uh, Pure yeah, Normal. I don't mean to pitch another podcast, but right? you're right. I, I'm on another podcast called Pure Anormal. P E E R. A normal, in other words, paranormal. But with the point is, is that we like to address these issues of supernatural things, but we only will address them through peer-reviewed literature. So we and we've talked about Bigfoot, you know, goofy things. But and most of us are pretty skeptical. I mean, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, we're willing to believe in supernatural, but most of the things we talk about, whether it's Bigfoot or, or um, what was the last thing, uh, or or that Perry Reese map, you know, about that one, yes. where it's like they had a map. Of Antarctica, before anyone even knew, you know, before there was even ice on it, and all this kind of stuff. It's like, no, if you look into the, if you look into the history of it and stuff, we look at scholarly papers on it, and we analyze it. And while we're all Christians in in on the show, um, a lot of the stuff we're pretty skeptical about, to be frank, you know. And like, uh, oh, with the other thing, the um, you know, ghosts and EMP, you know, where they take the EMP recordings, you know, that they do on these ghost shows. <laughs> I love well, that. Yeah, yeah, but but there's we'll we'll talk about it, but we'll refer to actual peer-reviewed scientific papers. Yeah, and and by the way, we don't always agree with them, but we have more respect for that because Michael Heiser is the leader of the of the show, and his goal is is like he wants to get Christians in particular to stop being so gullible and to really take more seriously yeah. if they're going to look into these issues to be more serious about it, you know, and um and I really enjoy that show because. You know, like I said, I believe in the supernatural, but I'm I'm actually quite skeptical about, about pretty much most everything that's out there. I'm probably the most skeptical on the show. Really? <laughs> so it's I true. Like that's be, true. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I'm pretty naturalist. I don't know, you know. <laughs> I love the one about the uh about the uh the pets who have uh 
preternatural. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is kind of interesting because, like, you know, pets who kind of like know when there's something wrong, or right. uh, they know when they're, you know, when they're, uh, when they their owners s- are coming back and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that was an interesting one. <laughs> so I like that about I like that about Heiser, and that's why I kind of hang out with them because of that. We want to we want to promote the belief in a supernatural worldview, but we also want to avoid the extremes of the goofy Christians, you know. Yeah. Right. So it's right. it's hard. It's a hard balance. Good balance. I think it's a great yeah. journey because I, I think overall that can only strengthen Christianity as a whole because it makes your journey your own. You, you decide yeah. on something yourself as opposed to just having somebody's faith bequeathed to you i you know i only believe this because my parents did and their parents yeah did. yeah or or your church you know or your, your church, church right saying this. yeah yeah cool so brian any of your books uh any uh any of them going to film no they're too big they're like 150 million dollar movies you know what i mean like they're because they're epics they're ancient epics i would love to see like like i like to try to get enoch made into a movie because oh yeah you know, e- the book of enoch is really popular these days it's faddish both Christians and non-Christians are really fascinated by it. And it's really a cool story. And I wrote a novel on it called Enoch Primordial. Um, and that would be one thing that I think would have a chance. But it's really hard because if you're writing huge, huge epics in Hollywood, you kind of have to be an A-list writer to, to really be able to break through with big, huge movies. You know what I mean? Mm. So I don't expect – and the other thing is, is Hollywood – everyone's always asking me about this. Like, yo, because because I write movies and, you know – stuff for hollywood they're like oh you know like you just said right you know hey, when, when, when's your series going to come a movie or a series and i'm like unfortunately the reality is is hollywood is only interested in books that are like like you know um twilight yeah twi- <laughs> or what, what's the ah the guy with the brown glasses the kid with the brown glasses uh harry potter harry potter yeah hey. Harry Potter, mega million sellers, you know, that gotcha. kind of thing. And, and, you know, no, I'm not up that, I'm not up that, that good of a seller yet. And I don't well, think I'm thinking I thinking of movies, Christian movies, like, you know, God's Not Dead and those type of movies. They can't have that huge of a budget. Yeah, it, but none of my books are like that. So right. they're all huge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you yeah, I, no, I do. No, listen, I've, I've, I've got several low budget horror films that I'm, that I'm, I've tried to get made and, and, uh, it's it's really tough. It's almost impossible to get a movie made in Hollywood. So if any movie mm. gets made, it's it's literally almost a miracle, and uh, or it is a miracle because it's just it's amazing because there's so many factors that have to fall into place for it to work, and gotcha. so yeah, yeah, it rarely does. Just sell so, to Bruce Campbell. Um, what? Just sell to Bruce Campbell. <laughs> yeah, he's the Evil Dead guy, right? Right. <laughs> well, how does someone like Mel Gibson still have clout? Then? You know, I mean, well, he kind of doesn't. Uh, he's had to kind of go back to square one because of his whole, you know, his personality yeah, problems right, right, and right. stuff that he caused him. But truthfully, all he has to do is just make another good movie, and he'll be back in graces. You know, <laughs> right. I mean, there's still because he's not a far leftist, he's going to be hated by Hollywood. So he'll always have to be working on his own. But there will always be some people who will work with him. Yeah. Uh, and now he's past the whole. The anti-Semitic stuff is far enough in the past, you know. It's, it's and all these guys with the Me Too movement, you know, they've been knocked out. You know, Kevin Spacey. You know, I right. tell you what, in a few years I'll probably be back. You know, they're not going to be as big and famous, but they'll be able to, because because the public has a short mem- memory and they don't, they're not really <laughs> as moral as they say they are. Anyway, it's huh. just all this. 
Look it's at, all posturing, you know, but yep. they'll be back. Well, look at Scorsese, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or you mean Roman Polanski, you know? Hey, uh, here you have a guy who's a rapist, literally raping a 13-year-old oh. back in the 70s or something. And, and, and like – and he still is a a fugitive of American law, so he never comes in the United States. You've yeah. got Hollywood people supporting this guy while they're c- complaining that men are rapists and sexual harassers. Oh, but Roman Polanski's a great, you know. It's like it, the hypocrisy is so deep yeah, that it it's just uh, even as a person in the industry, I, I just find it more and more difficult to really follow it because it's just. Yeah. It's just so I'm not talking about even the morality of it. Just the hypocrisy alone is the worst of it all. You know, they're up there lecturing America about morality while they're the worst that while they get caught in the worst versions of it. You know, it's like, come yeah. on, you know. I still don't understand how how he's able to get awards. <laughs> Who who's a Polanski? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he fled the country, didn't he have to flee? Yeah. Yes, and he's never been back since. And wow. but they awarded him, you know, uh Oscars and all this. I do think that it's going to be harder for them to do it because they'll they'll see their hypocrisy. Like yeah. people have been pointing it out. So they haven't been standing up for him lately. And I don't know if he'll be able to be nominated now because the Me Too is so big. But but even that will sort of die down, you know. Mm. And uh yeah. So I mean, think about it. Um so you've got um, – who was it? So Weinstein? <laughs> yeah, right. No, no. What was I thinking of? The, the examples of the hypocrisy are just so raving. Um, I can't remember. So I'm thinking, you know, Roseanne Barr, you know. So she gets – you know, she says – she's an idiot. She's She's got mental problems and stuff. But, you know, be, but she gets – she's like chopped, you know. But there are so many guys – who there are literally printed examples of them saying w- worse things about people, and they're still around, and the, you know because she's not because she's pro-Trump and Hollywood hates Trump. She's not she's not even a right winger. She's not a right winger. She's a left winger, right. but she's just pro-Trump. So they'll 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 do anything to destroy anybody at all. But you could say the same things that she may have said, but you still get your job in Hollywood, you know, because it's like they're just a bunch of hypocrites, you know. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> okay, fine. So you're not getting your movie through Hollywood. <laughs> you answered my yeah. question. <laughs> now, I, look, I've always been involved in more of the independent side anyway yeah. because my worldview just doesn't seem to fit. Um, and I am working on some really cool projects that I can't tell you about. <laughs> I will when I can, and I'll okay. call you up and get on your show. Awesome. Because yeah. some of them are very controversial, and, and yes. uh, it's like, yeah, Hollywood will not like some of the stuff I'm working on, but America will. So we'll <laughs> see if I'll be able to get something made or not, but uh, very controversial stuff. And um, so, yeah, but I've always been independent, so I'm not, in the big, you know, I'm not involved in the studios or anything like that. And in the independence – you know, you basically have to make your own movies, raise your own money, and get your own distribution. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, but but today's world, there's room for that, like there never was before. Yeah. So that's I'm grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those of us who are not um, who are not part of the establishment, who don't think like don't think in lockstep with the jackboots of everyone in Hollywood, um, you know, and we don't say hot, you know. Heil Obama and all this kind of stuff. We have we have an unprecedented ability to get our work out like never before, even though we're rejected by a lot in Hollywood because of the democratization of because of the Internet, you know, so yeah. um, it's been really cool. And, you know, uh, cameras, you know, how like 
you used to have the you used to have these impossibly expensive cameras in order to make a movie right 30 years ago and now the smallest little camera can take a qu- movie quality all that stuff has helped take away the power from the elites yeah. in Hollywood and so now and and Netflix and Amazon we've I don't know how we've got off on this topic but anyway <laughs> Netflix and Amazon is you know I mean they're you know they're they've got they're going to be they've got an evil dark side to them but they've also been a great um, counter to the studios mm. that had all the power. Agreed. And now everyone's going to Netflix and Amazon because they're making movies instead of, you know, Hollywood like makes blockbusters. Now they don't like making good movies anymore. Just blockbusters. Right. You go to Netflix, you can make your small little film. That's like really good. And, and lots of filmmakers and actors and stuff want to do cool stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And more, more people, they don't have to go to the big screen anymore. Right. Yeah. Well, that's very, very new yeah. because it, remember 20 years ago, if you say oh, I'm on TV star, Oh, you're like, it's movie stars who are cool, but TV stars are nothing. Yeah. Right. Cool. Mm-hmm. Like stranger things on Netflix, man. That's awesome. I love. Stranger yeah. Things. I mean, <laughs> and, and, and it's just, you know, Netflix has broken down that whole, uh, difference between Netflix and Amazon is bro- and Hulu have broken that that whole difference between the whole you know big theatrical movies versus television. Right. Now it's like, and I even as someone in the industry, I don't care about going to. Th- I like to go to theaters for something big like Jurassic Park or something. But but um, you know most movies, I'd rather just wait and watch it on Netflix. You know? Yeah, right. So yeah, I agree. And they they have had some great stuff coming out, um, both on uh, Amazon and Hulu. Actually, I loved watching. Um, oh, what was it? It was uh, what twenty? I think it was twenty two eleven. No, eleven twenty two sixty three. Oh, yeah, the one about the time travel with uh, assassination of Kennedy. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, yeah. So, well, here's something that's relevant though. Like the next novel that I plan to write after the after this series. Is called is is based on an old screenplay I made about a kill, serial killer, and he's a philosopher in college, and he's a philosopher killer. So, um, and uh, the I've already written the screenplay decades ago, right? And I never got it made as a movie. And I made this little short called Crew Logic. It's on my website. And so the principle is this: this serial killer is killing university professors, and he's videotaping them and debating them before he kills them. And the topic of the debate is if what you say is true about the universe, you know, different philosophical viewpoints, give me one reason why I should let you go and why I shouldn't kill you. I'm sorry, why I shouldn't kill you and I'll let you go. And none of them can because all of their systems have no foundation for morality. And so uh, that's been a, a story that that has been, it's been out there because like I said, my short has been out and stuff. And I've been wanting to write that because I wanted to make it as a movie, but it never was able to become a movie. But if I write it as a book and maybe it gets a little bit more interest, maybe I can sell the rights to the book, make it as a movie. Who knows? Yeah. We'll see. Cool. Cool. But that would be more affordable, cheap movie like what you were talking about earlier. Yeah. Rather than my huge biblical epics that no one will want to. Hey, book, the Book of Eli did well. Yeah, that's true. But <laughs> Noah did terrible. Oh, that was a oh, Exodus. Russell Crowe, that one with that yeah. Noah. Yeah. And the Exodus one did terrible. And so now they're like, well – Bible movies don't make money. Well, that's because you, you stupid idiots, you made movies that insulted your audience. It's like <laughs> right. Movie, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. People are a little more intelligent when it comes to their own storylines. 
Exactly. Their own, exactly right. Their own stories. Talk about appropriation, right? You know, the cultural appropriation. How dare you steal from our culture? And well, that's what they do all the time with Christianity, right? You know, they steal our stories and, and rape them. And then they, they wonder why they don't make any money on them. Well, hmm. yeah. Yeah. Pretty yeah. Obvious. Noah. Yeah, of course, the Watchers were giant stone creatures. Yeah. <laughs> And of course, Noah was a madman who wanted to kill his children. You know? Right. <laughs> so, but, anything uh, else about the end times? Last days? George? What the? What? <laughs> we know you what got it, George. We know you got <laughs> um, No, I can't do it. All I'm, right. not, I'm, not, I'm not witty today. Gumby? What about uh, the United States moving its embassy to Jerusalem? Oh. Well, guess what? I was there in Israel when they did it. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, pray we tell. Were, we just happened to go on a vacation, um, um, and they happened to have it at that time. It was just doing a tour of Israel. Uh, you know, seeing all the sites, you know. With Heiser? Herman. Yeah, with Heiser. Yes. Nice. Oh, wow. But we happened to be there at that time, and I was like, oh, Really? It didn't turn out to be bad, of course, and and you know I was a little worried about being in, in Israel, and but I was embarrassed by it because I felt safer in Israel, walking around there at night in Jerusalem, than in anywhere in L.A. So, um, yeah, it was great. But they were dancing in the streets. We didn't actually go to the to the event celebrating it because we were there for our own tours, but. While we were out in the streets, they were partying in the streets the day before, even with music. And it was really cool. I mean, it was like, it was, mm -hmm. yeah, it was really joyful. Ooh. And it's really funny, too, because, look, I don't know where any of you guys stand, and I'm not, I don't, I don't need to get political, but it was kind of funny because, um, you know, they've got all these flags up there. Trump makes Israel great again. <laughs> and, and look, a lot of, I mean, obviously, a lot of Israelites are going to Israel Israelis are going to love Trump because obviously, right? But yeah. but but the truth is, is you know they they were sitting. I, you know, we met guys that were saying like, well, I don't like his environmental policies, but he's good on Israel. So you know, they they have differences of opinion, obviously. But it was still funny to see how how much more support there than I would even see in America. You know, but of course, it makes sense why because of what he's supporting, right? Right. Mm -hmm. But uh, but we our bus driver had a Trump hat. Laughing, <laughs> 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 you know. So I, I wouldn't see any of that in Los Angeles. You'd be you'd be lynched. Right. You wouldn't see it in Cleveland either. <laughs> Is there yeah. any biblical significance you think to it? I know dispensationalists oh. think so. Yeah, me no, absolutely not. I, you know, okay. Yeah, like I said, I I don't believe so at all. I but I do I I do think it's good politically and and morally and all that stuff. But no, I. I, you know, and to be honest with you, I don't, I, I haven't heard what those dispensationalists are saying about that, like how they think it fits prophecy. I, I haven't heard. So, do you have you heard anything specifically? Uh, it, like how it fits in with the blood moons or something? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it's just another reinforcement, I think, of of yeah. the dispensationally point of view, and uh, you know how. Uh, I guess the marriage between uh, Judeo Christianity and strengthening those ties and oh yeah and America and a lot of them sometimes see America is the eagle when you see the word eagle in prophecy it's America or something yeah <laughs> yeah 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 no, I don't know yeah, it's just more of a reinforcement in their dispensational ideas nothing I don't I think even they are having a hard time creating you know. 
a uh, connection in that theology. Yeah. 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 Uh, can't be any harder than all of their other theology. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, you know, basically the thing was, was uh, Jesus said, with uh, this generation shall not pass away before all these things take place. And surely all these things are in the future, not the first century. Therefore, whenever Israel becomes a nation within the generation, all this stuff is going to happen. Generations, roughly 40 years. Well, 1948, they became a nation. That's when everyone, I was reading this book called Armageddon now, and he's talking about the history of dispensationalism. And he was writing about how all the beliefs that were going on in America during pre-World War II mm -hmm. and, and, and how that stuff led up to 1948 even. And it was just funny because they were talking about Israel has to become a nation, you know, beforehand. So they thought that that was part of it. But anyway, then, when, then it happened. And, um, and then 40 years went by, 1988. Jesus never came back. No rapture. And, and, and now we're on to like 70. How long is it now? 70. We're closing in on two generations. Yeah. And so now what they do is they say, well, but if you look in the Bible, there are some cases where uh, the Bible says a generation could be 70 years. So we're still okay. And 100 <laughs> years now they're saying, well, there's one passage in Genesis where it talks about, you know, uh, it's a weird, strange passage where it says, you know, Israel will be in Egypt in f for 400 years. And after the fourth generation, they'll return. Well, therefore, 400 years equals four generations. So it must be 100 years. So they just <laughs> They keep finding a, uh, some kind of like mystical, magical uh, scripture that will, will say, well, a generation could be more than 40 years. And it's just, you know, at what point are they going to finally say, well, I guess it doesn't fit. It just doesn't fit. Right. Now, I think they're going to always come up with some kind of change to interpret because that's – I claim that dispensationalism in particular and a lot of the futurist scenarios are Christian conspiracy theories. And I say that because if you look at the history of them, they operate like conspiracy theories. Whenever you see evidence or provide evidence against a conspiracy theory, they just spin it and say, well, that just proves my conspiracy theory. In other words, nothing can ever disprove it, and they're always changing it to fit. Yeah. And that's, what, that's yeah. what a lot of these end-time scenarios are. Christians are just – they keep changing it when everything doesn't fit. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and because – you know, I think people in general, the public is is really dumb. We have a short memory. We forget these things. We mm -hmm. we let things go. We're like, yeah, we're not looking. Well, look at John Hagee was saying all this stuff was going to happen years ago. Hal Lindsey, Chuck Smith, all these guys, and yeah. it never happened. Why are you letting them? A false prophet supposed to be cut off. Why are you letting them continue to have these ministries in the body of Christ? Because mm -hmm. Christians are foolish and they just have short memories and they don't care. And and I you know I think we're all you know. Our society has a massive problem with that, and yeah. it's it's disturbing to me. But I do, having said that, I think I believe there's a gr there is a growing turning away. A lot, few and few people really care about that stuff, yeah. and I think more and more Christians are becoming interested in recognizing this. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. it's closing in on eighty years and nothing ever happened. Come <laughs> on, maybe there's something wrong with. I do believe there's an increase of, of people, Christians, who are starting to. To, and, and you know why? Because mm -hmm. I get a lot of these emails from fans of my work. Yeah. And I even get them more like, you know what? I was always told the typical left behind view. But reading your books, it makes so much more sense. I get a lot of that. And, and yeah. I'm, I'm actually surprised because I, my experience in the past has been Christians tend to, have, tend to be very staunchly committed to their end times view. And if you don't agree with them, you're a heretic, right? And there's still those people. But – 
I think as time has gone on in, in recent years, is the millennials, they, they don't care as much and, and they're not as, they're not as devoted. It's like, eh, you know, whatever, if it is true, whatever, you know, so they're more, it makes them more open-minded to other views. And I think that that's a good thing. You know, it also has a downside, but yeah, I think that's yeah. a good I, I think that some, some theologians are helping too. Like you're like N.T. Wright, for example. Um, that's right. And yeah. he's been, he, great. yeah. And, and he openly, openly talked about how they're like, well, you know, the dispensational view is not so big in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. it's really mostly you Americans. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. And if you read any of his books, it comes out like, wow, you know, like like his New Testament in the people of God and Jesus and the victory of God. That whole series was just phenomenal. And when I was reading, I'm, I was like going like, my gosh, he's a preterist. And I, I even emailed him. This was years ago. You know, I was like, he was still, you know, he was big, but I think it was still before he got super big. And, and I'm like, you know, are you a preterist? Because a lot of what you're saying is preterist, you know, and he kind of avoided it at the time, you know, <laughs> but uh, it was kind of funny. That's good. So, yeah, I agree <laughs> with you. And T. Wright. And also there's more authors like Gary DeMar and Ken Gentry. Um, are, are, are their, their work is getting out there more, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. there's also, there's also, an, uh, I don't want to get into the controversy of it, but <laughs> Yeah, oh, come on. Don't leave us hanging. <laughs> Go for it. There's also full preterists who are becoming – their presence on the internet is very strong, and they're challenging partial preterists. But in the you know full preterists basically believe all prophecies fulfilled, even Jesus' second coming, even the resurrection, even the last judgment. Mm -hmm. And while I actually have respect for them, um, I'm not one of them, but – but their their presence on the, the internet has become a very powerful help to them, and they're engaging and challenging partial preterists. But what I like is it's a debate that's making it public, and so people are learning more about preterism. Yeah, and mm -hmm. and that is still spreading. And the full preterists are getting out and debating dispensationalists, and they're doing a great job of ripping them apart. So, I think <laughs> that the combined yeah. forces of full and partial preterism, you know, uh, but that can be a very controversial thing within that camp, right? Because you know. Yeah. The, the implications are pretty big, and I acknowledge that. But um, I'm I'm grateful because I think the full preterists have a lot of good things to say, and and I don't agree with them. But some of the things they've, I think that sometimes they're they're addressing things better than partial preterists do. So yeah, um, yeah. So it's a it's quite an interesting time we live, you know. I, so, I, but I, I think oh, I just say now is the time for new for new views to be to be considered. Yeah, like never before. And I'm hoping that my books will be on the top of those that idea is being considered. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Buy my books. Yeah. I've hey, I've loved them all. I've I've endorsed them over and over again uh, across all of our web pages. So I think they're very well written. Um, I think they're very well researched. Uh, if, if I not just those books, but also all the companion books, um, which I've I've I think I've pulled almost every one of your companion books. Um, cool. Yeah, and I, I've loved them all. So, Yeah, one of the things I did was, because I knew it was going to be controversial, I footnoted these apocalypse novels um, because I know Christians are going to be reading this and they're going to go, what? Where did he get that? Because some of it's wild and some of it you've never heard before. But it's there in history. So I footnoted them so you can go back and read. And I got, you know, I don't just cite 
books, I actually give chunks of scholarly arguments in the back. So sometimes half the text is actually, half the text of the novel is actually scholarly quotations for those who want to learn more. But also, like the books you're mentioning, I have, um, of course, End Times Bible Prophecy, which kind of goes through Matthew 24. But then I have um, I have what's called uh, Matthew 24 Fulfilled or something like that. I can't remember. I should know the title, right? <laughs> but yeah, Matthew 24 Fulfilled. And all it is is it's more like my notes of how – and I go through Matthew 24 but also some other things in the Bible. And I just give – I pull quotes from the Bible and pull quotes from history to just show how prophecies have been fulfilled that many Christians think have yet to be fulfilled in the future. So it's sort of like a raw source material for those who really want to just get into the raw material and look see for themselves rather than just, you know, trust me, you know. So I'm like, look, here's where Tacitus says this or here's where, you know, whatever, uh, some Latin historian or whatever says this, right? Yeah. And so that's been that's been a uh, surprise. I wouldn't think people would want the notes like that. Cause I, I say, you know, these are my notes, you know, but people have really been enjoying that one and, and it's been a good resource for them, you know, as well as my other book, which is, um, Israel and Bible prophecy. And I think that that's really relevant to what we've been talking about tonight, because I go through how, how Israel has been fulfilled in the new Testament. And I use heavy scripture arguments to show that the new covenant kingdom in Christ is the Israel of God. And it's not like a replacement theology. It's just Jesus Christ, and the N.T. Wright talks about this. Jesus Christ transforms the covenant and transforms it into the new covenant, which is now is now around Jesus, the Messiah. And Jesus is the land of Israel. Jesus, mm -hmm. the Messiah, is the temple. Jesus, the Messiah, is, you know, it's like <laughs> reorganizes the, the covenant around himself. And I try to make that argument as well from other scriptures and show how, how in particular, everyone knows the promise to Abraham, right? Dispensationalists make this a lot, right? God gives five promise, fivefold promise, I think, or something like that to Abraham. You know, like this land will be yours. Your descendants will be as the sun, stars in the sky, right? And he gives all these things. And I go through how each of those promises are fulfilled in Christ, not when most people in the way most people think is they're supposed to be fulfilled in a geopolitical ethnic people <laughs> called Israel, Jews. They're actually the New Testament says all that is fulfilled in Christ, which is to me a glorious, beautiful expression of how wow, if we're in the new covenant, we have all these glorious covenantal things that God talks about in the Old Testament. They're now applied to us because we are in Christ. And it's just, a, you know, it's one of my favorite books that I wrote and probably one of the more controversial ones because of the fact that, you know, it's it's basically arguing against dispensationalism. Yeah. Hmm. Even rabbinic Judaism. Yeah. 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 Because I know, you know, in the Old Testament, there, the, the promise to Abraham, didn't it extend from like, the river Euphrates, all the to way down to the Nile. The Nile, to, yeah, it, yeah, the, yeah. And cutting through swaths of like uh, Syria, uh, Egypt, and a large yeah. part of Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Um, so I know that there's a strain within rabbinic Judaism that believes that the borders that exist today are not their final borders. Yes. Yeah. And. That's why, you know, looking at it, looking at the map today geopolitically and all the wars that are existing all around Israel. 
By the way, that's another reason why, um, and one of the things I like to point out, uh, again, uh, futurists will spin everything to support their view, but I find it particularly powerful that um, we all can agree, no matter what you believe, we all can agree that the temple certainly was the, you know, the incarnation of the old covenant, certainly, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, now you may have beliefs about prophecy in the future about it, but but nonetheless, it is the heart and soul of the old covenant in in the in the Torah, right? Yes. In the old in the Old Testament. So, I find it interesting that my argument of saying you know God's destroying the temple is his symbol of of eliminating the old covenant and bringing in the new covenant that does replace it. And it, trans it, it transforms it into something different, right? And isn't it interesting that God historically destroys the temple in such a way that it can never be rebuilt historically without starting World War III? I mean, it's just – now, of course, dispensationalists will say yes, and that's why they're going to do it. And the <laughs> World War III will come and Jesus will stop them all. But yeah. the point is, is it's not going to be rebuilt, folks. You know, you can go ahead and believe in magical future prophecy. But the problem is, is that isn't it interesting that what has actually happened fits my view far better because it sort of validates God is not going to let that be built again because the new covenant has is it has arrived and the old covenant is dead forever. And that fits my theology better than speculating, saying, well, Oh, but but he's going to find a way to rebuild in the future, you know. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. uh, anyway, so I, I've always considered that to be a strong argument for it, it. Don't you find it interesting that God destroyed it in such a way that it's never going to be rebuilt again because they can't without starting World War Three, and and you know they wouldn't be able to even throw the first hammer before World War Three would start. So it you couldn't get it to fit your. Uh, great tribulation and all that, and the Antichrist, it, you couldn't get it to fit because he couldn't even begin to rebuild the temple without the war. You see what I'm saying? And and the dispensationalist uh, scenario requires the temples rebuilt. Yes, absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. But it can, it can't be because World War Three will start, so you can't even, you can't, you know. And we don't have the Levitical uh, uh, priest records yes. anymore, do we? Yes, they were destroyed. Guess when they were destroyed? In the destruction of Israel. <laughs> Literally, they went in and they burned all the records. And so there is no way, there's no way that anybody can actually connect them. And again, isn't that interesting? Historically, mm -hmm. God operates such that he does not allow them to be able to transfer ancestry, trace their ancestry back to Levitical priests. So you can't find an actual Levitical priest. Hmm. Yeah. No priest, wow. no temple. <laughs> yeah. No deal. Awesome. Um, once again, look into Brian's books, all yeah. of them, the Chronicles of Nephilim, Chronicles of the Apocalypse, all the companion books. Um, he even has cool uh, free stuff across his website, uh, peer-reviewed research papers, uh, lectures on DVD, a um, ton of cool stuff you can grab off of it. Um, anything you want to uh, leave off on, Brian? No, that's it. Oh, I just did. Uh, I... I'm not sure if my mind drifted, but um, all my stuff is exclusively on Amazon, but it's in paperback, uh, ebook, and audiobook format. So it's all there, and it's super, super good prices. So, um, and I try to keep the price as low as possible, so I'll sell as many as, as, I, as I can. Yeah, Make awesome. it as easy as possible to purchase. With expert narration by the author himself, I might add. <laughs> uh, George. Thank you. Good night. Thank <laughs> you.
Hey, there's nothing taboo over brew. Good night. Good night. All right. For everybody, have a great night.